0: Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You are listening to episode 141, a conversation with dermatologist, Dr. Kelly Reed. Dr. Reed is based in Texas and her and I actually recorded this conversation in May, which is Skin Cancer Awareness Month. However, skin cancer occurs all year round. It is the most common cancer in the United States and it is so important to talk about prevention and screening. On this episode, we go through it all. We talk about the types of skin cancer, risk factors. We talk all about sunscreen. And as summer is just kicking off, this is a really, really important conversation, the types of sunscreen, how much to put on, how often to reapply. We get to some of your questions that you sent me as well. We talk about how often one should be going to the dermatologist, what a dermatology visit entails. That's something that I get a lot of questions about, and we end with a very comprehensive discussion about skincare, what you should be putting on your skin, when you should be putting on, what's worth spending money on, what's not worth spending money on. This conversation is 30 minutes of straight skin knowledge. And I guarantee you, you will want to be writing things down the whole time. At the end, Dr. Reed shares her top three skincare tips. Definitely not something that you want to miss. And with that, it is my honor to welcome Dr. Reed to the interlude podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of Breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Dr. Reed, thank you so much for being here. So for those listening, Kelly and I actually met back in 2009, correct? Yes, exactly. On a trip to Israel, and we reconnected recently at the Pinnacle Conference. And so since... May is breast, uh, May is skin cancer awareness month, I thought it would be perfect to have Dr. Reed, who is a board certified dermatologist come and talk about all things skin cancer and skin care. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here to talk everything skin and most importantly, skin cancer prevention and detection. So although May is Skin Cancer Awareness Month, skin cancer happens all year round. So we should be thinking about it all year round. So tell me a little bit about why, you know, are we seeing more skin cancer? What are the different types of skin cancer? You know, why is this important? Absolutely. So I'll first start with the three main types of skin cancer. Certainly there are some more rare forms as well, but the three most well-known ones are melanoma, Basal cell skin cancer and squamous cell skin cancer. In order of uh, what is most common, it starts with basal cell is the most common skin cancer. One in five Americans will get a basal cell before the age of 70. Now, what to look for when you are looking at these lesions, either a pimple that won't go away or a sore that won't heal or persistently pink scaly spot, those are oftentimes our basal or squamous cell carcinomas. When it comes to melanoma, we can dive a little deeper into that in a minute, but those are pigmented lesions. Why detection is key for these is that early detections allows our highest cure rate. So basal cell is one that doesn't typically affect the longevity of your health. That would be much more rare, but they can grow and invade nerves or become quite large and be very difficult to remove squamous cell carcinomas, they do have a chance of going to lymph nodes. So we certainly absolutely want to treat those two. And the melanoma that can absolutely be deadly. If those are caught early, we have a 99% cure rate for melanoma. When you talk about skin checks and, you know, seeing a dermatologist, how often should people be going? So there's no hard and fast rule. So it's a great question. So it often depends on each person's skin type or uh, the amount of moles they have, I should say, or their risk factors. So for example, somebody who has a a heavy history of tanning bed use, I do encourage them to come in at least annually. Um, For somebody who has a history of skin cancer, uh, if it's just a basal or squamous cell, we're often doing twice a year for a couple years from your most recent skin cancer. And for melanoma, we're often doing it more frequently, every three months for a couple years, than every six months or so after, or up to five years. In somebody with no history, I think it's best to see your board-certified dermatologist, and he or she will kind of guide as to what is most appropriate for you based on your risk factors, whether it's once a year or twice a year, for example. I would say it's good to at least establish a baseline and your dermatologist can guide you from there. Now tanning beds. We know that those are a skin cancer risk factor. Yes. What else are we talking about? Obviously sun exposure, but let's break that down a little bit more. Yeah. So, uh, Let's see. So we obviously know tanning bags, like you said, indoor tanning before the age of 35 increases your risk of melanoma by 59%. That's and then the other risk factors, really, it comes down to UV exposure. So that is sunlight uh, just on you know, any given summer day. But you have to think about it even on cloudy days, because about 80% of the UV rays still penetrate through cloudy skies. You have to think about it in the winter because there's a reflection off of the snow. And of course, when you're at the beach or the pool because of the reflection off of the water. And one of the things that I hear is, but I never burn. You know, I'm out in the sun. I have a lot of sun exposure, but I don't burn. I can't possibly get skin cancer. Is that true or is that a myth? Not true. Such a myth. We see skin cancer in all skin types. Yes, it tends to be more common in our fair skin individuals who tend to burn. But burning is not an indication for developing skin cancer necessarily. Yes, that is a risk factor. We know even one sunburn increases your risk of skin cancer, uh, but it's just the cumulative damage to the skin. So what we know is that UV rays cause DNA damage. So even any tan, that's evidence of DNA damage in the skin. It's, you know, when you think about it like that, you know, I th- I think that we have as a society probably have gotten better about sun protection and not tanning as much, but it still comes up. You know, first warm beach day of the summer, right? Everyone's lying out there on this in the sun, and there's some- I cringe. <laughs> probably wore it off. So let's talk about sunscreen. Uh, what should we be wearing? There's different types of sunscreens. I'd love to hear your take and your opinion on that. Absolutely. So I, I still think, you know, sunscreen is number one, and there's lots of other ways to protect the skin, and we'll chat about that. What you want to look for is at least an SPF of 30 or more. That's where you really get start getting your kind of peak benefit, and then you get marginal improvement with each SPF above 30, but look for at least 30. You want to apply at least a shot full for your whole body. So that's quite a bit and much more than people generally apply. Um, you want to reapply every two hours and more free- frequently if you are swimming, toweling off, or sweating because you're essentially just rubbing it off. Um, in addition to uh, sunscreen or, or further elaborating on sunscreen, we have different types of sunscreen. As you know, we have our physical sunscreens, which are like zinc oxide and titanium dioxide. And then we have more of our chemical sunscreens, which include oxybenzone, et cetera. Our physical sunscreens, think of those as kind of reflecting the UV beams from the skin, whereas the chemical sunscreens, they kind of serve as a sponge to uh, kind of grab those UV rays so they don't penetrate your, your skin as much. And then there's a lot of sunscreens that are a hybrid. They've all been shown to be perfectly safe for this skin um, when applied um, in a way that uh, is recommended, which is every two hours or more frequently if needed. So there was and we this is something that you know we talk about in oncology um and i'm curious to, on your perspective you know obviously the most the best sunscreen is the one that people are actually going to wear and apply to their body but a couple of years right. ago there was some, a study a couple like two studies published in JAMA looking at small studies but they looked at absorption of those chemical sunscreens and they found that it was more than like what was expected And so, you know, the FDA has called for more studies on that because some of those chemicals, at least in the cancer space, you know, could potentially disrupt hormones and again, a lot to be unknown. So as an oncologist, we, you know, I, I, personally tend to kind of favor the mineral sunscreens, but is there any, you know, what's, is there truth to that? Is that something that is kind of like, well, we're still studying it, You're exactly right, so we're still studying it. So the study did show that some of those chemicals are absorbed into the skin. And in this study, it was people who uh, applied it perfectly. And so in the real world, people truly aren't applying that much and that frequently, although that's what we counsel and recommend. Now, the next part of it, like you said, we just don't know. So far, we know there haven't been any proven harmful effects of it. But what I tell patients, if it is a concern to you, then just stick with your mineral or physical sunscreens. We have so many great options that are just zinc oxide and titanium dioxide. I know I personally do just stick with the mineral and physical sunscreens because I've been pregnant or breastfeeding for the last four plus years. Even though there's not any data that says a pregnant or breastfeeding person cannot use a chemical sunscreen, it's just my personal choice to stick with the mineral ones. And that's what I use on my own toddlers and babies. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's exactly right. I think there are different options and people should feel free to pick what they're, what they're comfortable with. Um, exactly. And I think that there are from, I just, what I've seen in like grocery stores and on the shelves is that the amount of mineral sunscreens or physical sunscreens has really exploded in the last, mm-hmm. you know, few years. And they're making some that don't have, leave that like weight paste or that white like exactly people don't like so i think there's a lot of different options available now exactly right they make them a lot more elegant uh where they just rub in a lot easier it's not so tacky or sticky on your skin and then i always remind patients you know not only sunscreen you can protect your skin in so many other ways like upf clothing for example uv protective factor clothing you wanna look for at least a UPF 50 or more. This is clothing that's woven in such a way to minimize UV penetration to the skin. That's another great way, so especially for kiddos where it's really tough to reapply and put sunscreen on them all the time, put them in like a rash guard, which often is UPF 50 or more. They can do long pants as well, and that's a really great way to help protect their skin as well as your own skin. So I always tell you know my golfers, my boaters, or anybody who's going to be at the beach or fishing, uh, to invest in UPF clothing. And then bottom line, it doesn't necessarily need to specifically say UPF if you want to kind of choose things you have in your own closet. You know, a denim tightly fitted, although it would be warm, uh, kind of shirt sure, is it actually like an SPF of about seventeen hundred, for example, whereas like a white t-shirt. A flimsy white t-shirt is like an spf of five so you can also make some choices with the clothing that you have not only clothing but seeking shade so you know being under an umbrella under a tree avoiding the sun between 10 and 4 if possible um, all those things help and what about your scalp hats so same thing so choosing a hat that's woven tightly, or at least a UPF 50, choosing a wide brim, so three to four inches at least. Um, And you really want that over a ball cap because a ball cap, you're still getting UV on the sides of your face, your ears, your neck, your chest, your back. Here in Texas, we call it Texas chest. Uh, (laughs) The fancy medical term is coikuloderma, but we see a lot of patients with that red neck and red chest. We lovingly call it Texas chest. And we spend a lot of time cosmetically treating it in my clinic because patients don't like it. You know, when they are 40 and 50 years old, they're ready to get rid of it. So, it's you know, I always think it's, we, we really are so careful about skin protection and sun protection for our kids. You know, we get the rash guards we make them wear a hat. We make them reapply. And then I think when it comes to our own bodies, we're like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. Right. And we need to, you know, try to have a good example for them. And just as we're taking care of them, you want to take care of yourself too, not only for yourself, but for your child. So that, I think that's great advice. And so if someone notices something on their body, um, they should be calling a dermatologist if they don't already have one. Exactly. Um, Do you do biopsies in your office when someone comes in? What do you do? Like, how do you approach something if someone comes in with, let's say, a hyperpigmented skin lesion? Exactly. So, So sometimes patients come in just for a focused visit, and that's great. And sometimes patients come in for their general kind of full body skin check, as we call it, or their skin cancer screening. So when somebody comes in, we're looking at a lesion in particular. Um, Many dermatologists may have with them what's called a dermoscopy or a derm light, which actually magnifies the lesion by 10 and also provides a little bit of light. And uh, a lot of us are trained to look in and see if there's any unusual or concerning features. And based on that, we may choose to do a biopsy or not. A biopsy is very simple and quick and easy and, and really minimally painful for the patient. I think they're always surprised when it's over because it sounds very scary. Um, and what that entails is numbing the skin with a little local anesthetic. So that's like a little shot where they just feel a little prick and a sting. It's over within maybe 10, 20 seconds. And then after that, they don't feel anything. We often use a little blade and we We scrape underneath the lesion. So you have a small scrape as if you scraped your knee, but much smaller. Um, And that's it. You have a small wound. Uh, Put a bandage on top, and then you just treat it with Vaseline or Aquaphor while it's healing. That little specimen gets sent off to a pathologist. Uh, Typically, it's a specialized dermatopathologist who are trained specifically to look at skin. It can take a week or two to get results, and then we go from there. Depending what it shows may determine our next steps. So people should not be scared of yes. seeing dermatologists. I think there's this, you know, of course there's a fear of biopsies and needles and, it, you mm-hmm. know, I, I think it's going to leave a big scar. So I appreciate you kind of saying it's fine and it's not painful and it's going to be okay. Exactly. And one thing we chatted about briefly earlier, and I wanted to touch on while we're talking about skin checks or kind of what to look for uh, when identifying melanoma. So kind of the big picture, the ABCDEs of melanoma that many people may have heard of. The A stands for asymmetry, if you cannot fold a lesion in half. B is for borders, if they're irregular. C is for color, so if you have like reds or blues or blacks or even different shades of brown or white or gray, we wanna take a look. D for diameter, greater than six millimeters or a pencil eraser, and E for evolving if you have something that's changing. So it doesn't necessarily have to have all those things, even one. And we want to take a better look at that spot. Additionally, it's also just the ugly duckling mole. So if I'm doing your skin check and all the, the pattern of your moles look similar, except for one, that's going to be the one that really catches my eye. So dermatologists are trained to really look at a lot of pattern recognition. So if one is the outlier, that will likely be one that we may biopsy that day. Another myth is that a lot of patients think it's the raised moles that are necessarily always the bad ones, but that's not always the case. More commonly, it's the flat ones that are more concerning. Not to say the raised ones are always in the clear, but it's usually the flat ones that uh, catch our eye. You know, one of the things that I hear a lot about if I'm doing, you know, I'm doing a breast exam or I'm examining someone and I'll say, oh, well, you know, what I see this here, they're like, oh, that's been there for years. So it must be fine. And I think it's really important that just because it has been there for years does not mean we should ignore that. Exactly. So sometimes that can be a little reassuring in some cases, but sometimes even despite a patient saying it's been there years, if it just doesn't look right to me, if there are concerning features, off it goes. Excellent. So before we move on to skincare, I'm just looking at some of the questions that we got. And one of the questions that came out came up with the spray sunscreens. So there's a couple things with that. So with the spray sunscreens, you wanna be sure you're putting an adequate amount. The main things with those is when you spray and you're just doing like one swipe across your arm, think of it as just like a a spritz of the sunscreen. You're not covering all the areas. So one, you need to spray enough and then two, you need to follow it up by rubbing it in. So that's the way you wanna be sure there is adequate coverage. The other thing to think about for some is they may not wanna inhale what's coming out, uh, like an aerosol. So a couple things you could choose like just a straight mineral spray um, that can help minimize some of the aerosols. Or if you're gonna choose to do a chemical spray sunscreen, I'd recommend to go to a well ventilated area or outside when you're spraying those. Is there, are there any sun blocks or so first of all, sunblock versus sunscreen, same, different. Call it sunscreen. Okay. Sunblock is a pet peeve of mine. There's no such thing as anything that's going to totally block the sun. Perfect. But so- it is something that's just uh, in our language from, we just grew up saying that. Fair enough. Uh, all right. So sunscreens, any brands that you recommend for kids, for adults, knowing this is not comprehensive. But if someone's like, I have no idea what sunscreen to buy. Yes, the great news is that there are so many great ones. So, I mean, my try and go-to brands are often like Neutrogena, Aveeno, uh, Blue Lizard, Elta MD. Those are probably like my top four. Perfect. Are sunless, sunless tanning products safe? So that would be... uh like a a self tanner at home or going somewhere and somebody doing a spray tan on you and what those those are safe. Uh, So you want something with DHA, which most of them are. That's all FDA approved for sunless tanning. That's a really nice alternative. If you are wanting a little glow, Uh, it's just a, a temporary way to tan your skin. Uh, What it does, it's essentially a chemical that interacts with the dead skin cells um, to darken them. That's all it is. And so it usually lasts maybe a week because the normal cycle of the skin and it sheds and you shower. So it's temporary. And if my mom had melanoma, am I more susceptible to developing it? Yes. So first degree family relatives are at a higher risk of developing melanoma. Um, So I always say, you know, if you're if I'm seeing a patient, if their parent, sibling, or child have melanoma, we need to keep an extra good eye on them, and definitely do once a year skin checks for anybody that's a first degree relative to anybody with melanoma. Not necessarily basal and squamous, but melanoma. Okay. And last sun uh, skin cancer question: Is it or sun care? Is it really important to reapply sunscreen every two hours, even if low UV index or it's not sunny out? yes just because there is still penetration of uv rays through cloudy skies as we discussed so at the bottom line is you cannot get out of wearing sunscreen and really exactly you just can't do it you have to apply it you have to apply it often and and a lot of it shot glass full exactly unless you're doing some alternative ways if you really are covering up with a lot of upf clothing you could just focus on the areas that are exposed Okay, right. Perfect. Now let's switch a little bit to skincare. I know this is a topic you could talk about for hours and don't have hours. So give me like a couple of top tips, bullet points that we should know about for skincare. Like what are your essentials? Yeah. So I tell all my patients, I have a trifecta that I recommend for all my patients. That's Sunscreen. <laughs> okay. <what laughs> Which I think we talked about. We can check that up. Number two is a retinoid. So retinoid is a derivative of vitamin A. It's a cream application. You can buy it over-the-counter version, or you can get a prescription version. The prescription versions are stronger. Uh, yes, they can be a little bit more drying if your skin is not used to that. You typically start with the pea size three times a week and work up to nightly as your skin can tolerate. Uh, You can use it at any point in your life, except if you're pregnant. What it does, it helps stimulate collagen. So it's going to help with fine lines. It can technically potentially help reduce pore size. Um, And uh, I think I already said it, but most importantly, it helps stimulate collagen. Now, along that line, people love taking collagen peptides. Is that the same? Mm -hmm. I mean. you know, in my experience, I just don't think collagen peptide, I think they're a little bit of a fad, but Mm -hmm. how does that play a role in skincare? Yeah. So, uh, collagen topically, it's too big of a molecule to absorb into the skin. Peptides topically I like, and that's in a lot of moisturizers and we can chat about in a second. You know, I was initially skeptical too, of a lot of the collagen based drinks and shakes and supplements, uh, orally, but there is a a study that showed that there's some potential benefit of it to the skin. So I'm open to it. Do I take it myself? No. But if somebody likes taking supplements, uh, it's not harmful. Well, I think that's great. I love, I, I, I love, love, love that there's data because we, you know, data is important, right? Then we can take it right. helps and this is safe and things like that. Okay. So retinols, when do we put them on at night? So at nighttime, because a lot of times the sun can deactivate them. So you do it at night, followed by a moisturizer. And then the third part of, part of the trifecta is an antioxidant. So that's typically your vitamin C topicals. Now I tell people this is often the one area that you should probably splurge, just because not all vitamin C topicals are created equally and uh, they can destabilize or oxidize quite quickly when exposed to light or air. So. Typically you have to have really good packaging, an opaque container, you want to store it somewhere that's a little bit kind of darker, cooler, like in your cabinet, for example. Um, so that's the one splurge-worthy area. So what that does is find free radicals from the sun and pollution. It also helps stimulate collagen and also helps reduce pigmentation. Okay, so that's... Every morning. Every morning, okay. Um, and then what about, what else do we do, right? So we've got the morning, we've got the evening. When does the moisturizer go on? And like, does it make up the moisturizer, then makeup, then sunscreen? Great question. So you'd wake up in the morning, you're going to wash your skin. You can just use a gentle cleanser. If your skin's not too sensitive, you can use like a chemical exfoliant. So that would be like your salicylic acid or glycolic acid. I like to incorporate those in a few times a week. After that, you use your antioxidant topical, which is your vitamin C serum or lotion, followed by a moisturizer. I particularly like a peptide-based moisturizer. I think that's good to incorporate in your 30s and 40s. That also helps promote collagen production. Uh, And then followed by your sunscreen and then makeup. Makeup, sunscreen and the makeup, those are always last in your steps. At night, you'll wash your face and then followed by your retinoid or your retinol followed by a moisturizer. No, I hear all the time people saying, well, I never did anything and I'm 70 and I just wash my face with soap and water and this is all nonsense. And like, what's a dermatologist's take on this? Some people are genetically blessed. (laughs) So maybe that just went well for them. And that is fine. Everybody is different. Uh, But I know I personally, I enjoy doing skincare it's like relaxing to me. And so I like that as part of my routine. And I like my multi-step routine. Um, But I'm also, uh, you know, cognizant of that. And simple is best. So I tell patients, you know, at baseline, do like a retinol, your sunscreen and an antioxidant, and you'd be good. And then we could certainly expand from there if you want. That is great advice. Lastly, before we wrap up anti-aging, we're all wondering like what What's the magic? You know, how do we get to be like those people who are 70 and they're like, I've only used soap and water and I have amazing skin. (laughs) Are you ready for the secret? Is it, is it sunscreen retinol and a vitamin C (laughs) sun protection? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really it. So, you know, for those who are just naturally blessed, it comes down to just like sun protection and genetics. But, uh, for a lot of those, especially in modern culture who look well, a lot of them are doing a really you know, good skincare routine. A lot of them are incorporating perhaps even a little bit of Botox or Dysport neuromodulators with help with the lines in our skin. They may be utilizing fillers or even lasers or chemical peels. Okay. Now I heard this the other day and I'm really curious about your take on this. Is hydrating, like drinking enough water, is that, someone said that it doesn't make a difference for your skin. But I find like I get de- like if I'm dehydrated, like I can, I don't know, I feel it. So when it comes to the how moisturized your skin is, truly drinking water on a daily basis is not going to make a huge difference. Yes, if you are dehydrated, your skin will seem dry, your eyes will seem sunken in, all the things that we know about. But just day to day looking to moisturize your skin, it's a little dry. Drinking more water isn't going to help, but moisturizing your skin will help. Choosing a moisturizer in particular that may have ceramides in it can be a little bit more beneficial. It's a lot of information here. Super helpful. Um, anything that we did not touch on? I mean, this is like a full-on dermatology consult. <laughs> I could talk for hours. Um, you know, Eleanor, I think you covered it all. All right. I love it. Leave me with your top three. If someone is just tuning in right now and they want to know top three tips from Dr. Reed, go. Okay. Wear sunscreen, use a retinol at night if you're not pregnant and wear a hat and UPF clothing. Uh, that was four, but we'll count the last two. as of the last two. Protective clothing um thank you so much i know you do a lot on social media where can people find you people can find me at skin dr reed doctor is dr reed r-e-e-d and you practice in texas so if anyone is in the texas area um where in texas are you located yes they can find me at westlake dermatology in austin texas thank you so much for doing this thank you so much for having me this was fun Thank you all for listening to this conversation. So much helpful information here. I hope that this is a reminder to schedule your dermatology visit if you are due to make sure that as summer is here and all year round that you are wearing sunscreen, that you're reapplying and putting on an appropriate amount. You can find Dr. Reed at Skin Dr. Reed on Instagram. She's got a ton of great content there. Definitely check that out. You can find me at Dr. Toplinski on all social media platforms. And as always, if you found this episode helpful, I hope you take a moment to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts as that helps me to grow the show and to bring it to new listeners. Thank you all for listening and I will see you soon.